What's up, boss? Mark, what is the financial situation at the Parrot household? Yeah, there's there's things afoot financially at the Parrot household. Do tell. Um, briefly, before I get into the main news, I will say we had a little we had a little scratch up on the wife's vehicle. That'll um, happen. Yes, there was some pole in a parking lot was just, you know, acting the fool. And yeah, she had to teach it a lesson. Yeah, so um, whatever, that is that is what it is. We The saddest thing about the, the little fender bender is that um, I had just very recently surprised my wife with a full detail of her car. Oh, yes. And a... By Blake Staley? By drop detailing here in Salt Lake. Yes. Who, by the way... At some point when they're when they're you know the premier detailers in the United States, I expect that we'll have quite the the sponsorship package from Drop Detail. Sure. But sure, sure. I gotta say, um, Blake told me the other day he had a, a listener come in, purchase some product, um, and they heard about Drop Detailing via the Abraham's Wallet podcast. I love um, that. Me too. Uh, thanks, listener. You know who you are. Uh, but I. I had just gotten this detailing done and Blake had made the the headlights of her car incredibly brand new looking and then applied a protective layer to the headlights so they wouldn't do and now the headlight is being replaced. <laughs> now it is in a dumpster behind a auto body. Yeah, so shop. That's not my favorite thing, but that that's one financial news um the other, I don't know if you experience this, but we have to be a little bit careful at the parrot household because being public figures, you know, I know we, the pressure. I understand that. Right. We have we have the occasional Abraham's wallet tourist that comes through and wants to snap selfies, you know, in front of our house, maybe, you know grab a child or something mm-hmm. a souvenir um dangerous no we don't we don't actually have any stalkers but if you are a stalker and you'd like to you maybe stalk the abraham's wallet podcast now that we have 501c3 status and are kind of expanding our our reach i feel like it's about time we had a stalker so you could <laughs> you just want to throw that out that just came to mind well yeah that's a side topic the point okay. was if you if you drove by the front of my house right now, you would see multiple backhoes and digger trucks. I don't know what all the different digger trucks are called, um, but they are completely scraping and rebuilding my front yard right now. Oh, which is kind of exciting. Um, landscaping, unfortunately, is not cheap, and I always have sort of thought of landscaping as an unnecessary luxury. But in the case of my front yard, there's a large retaining wall that was decaying and was going to eventually put the integrity of my home in in jeopardy. So we had to move forward. So while we were at it, we decided let's make it look cool. In the industry, we call that hardscaping. So my question is, could you unplug your computer from all of its accoutrements right now and walk us out so that we could see what's happening? 
there is not a chance that I could do that. Oh, you're just too hardwired in. It would take, I mean, we would, we would have to, to reschedule this podcast for two weeks from now before I would. Okay. Well, what I want you to do is I want you to, to take some phone video of what things look like right now and I'll clip them back in as you're talking. Okay. I'll see if I can get Raul running the, uh, running the backhoe. Yeah, great. Give us a little financial insight. What's your what's your deductible on your auto insurance? Yeah, let's talk about that. Um, my deductible is a thousand dollars. I like to run a high deductible and save some money. Same. Um, it's been a very long time since I have had an auto claim, uh, so I kind of I kind of got. I kind of got into this little okay. We're never going to have an accident thing. Yeah, it's easy to think that. And then I looked at this thing, this accident, and I said, "This is going to be very expensive to repair." And then I went and, and so I filed the claim. We got into the insurance pipeline. They happened to provide us with a body shop that also came recommended via drop detailing. So perfect. And the quote came back at twenty six hundred dollars. And now I'm feeling, hmm, I might not have actually filed that through my insurance because it is very possible for the auto premium to go up by 40 or 50% if you have an accident. Um, and I'm thinking I'm going to lose money on this by filing it because the way the deductible works, for anyone who doesn't know, you pay the first $1,000. If you have a $1,000 deductible, the insurance company covers the rest. So for $1,500, if my deductible went up, I, I believe that that an accident stays on your record for four years in car insurance land. Um, if my deductible went up by, say, $400 per year for four years, I'd be in worse shape. Um, who knows if that will happen or not. But at the end of the day, it all shook out because once they dug into to this accident, they found things like broken headlights uh, and other brackets and such that were broken. So it ended up being about $4,000 worth of work. Oh, that's great. And Congratulations that it's worse than you thought. Don't you kind of, when you have a situation like this, hope that everything underneath is broken and they find all sorts of things to replace? Yes, I do. There was one time when, uh, you know, my my old love, the 03 Nissan Murano, there was a time when in a parking lot while I was in the car, waiting to back out, somebody was beside me in the lot and they pulled out really sharp and, and put a big old dent in the front left corner of my car. And I was so excited that that <laughs> happened. I just wish they had slammed on the gas and scraped all the way up the side and, and, you know, done more damage because I knew that the, that was all getting replaced, everything that they had done. And sure enough, it looked a lot better after that after that fix had happened. New new car parts are great. Yeah. You know, I I have also been in the situation where I had a damaged car that was already scheduled to be repaired. Uh this was about 15 years ago. Oh, this is fun. And I got rear-ended for the second wow. time. Um and this person, they weren't I would say they weren't winning at life. Yeah. They they were clearly not having the best decade ever. Um <laughs> uh, and what I was able to do is just say, 
no no sweat have a good day and they started crying and thinking this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me is that i just <laughs> got got away with one so <laughs> once in a while you know i think we we get to pass on some providence that way uh, anyways let's uh let's get to the to the meat and potatoes let's do it in our previously aired conversation we waded into the waters of make making disciples out of one's children and just for a 30 second review i i hope i established that your relationship with your children is the number three most important relationship in your life first being that with god the second being that with your spouse but your relationship with your children and the way that you build them will affect legacy for long after you're gone. And uh, I'd also talked about obedience and that we're told by Jesus that the way to make disciples is to teach them how to obey. And we talked about the kind of obedience uh, we want, and I, I, I can say that's the kind of obedience that God describes that he wants as well, which is total fidelity to his commands, as well as having total devotion to him in the process, um, not doing so reluctantly, but hearts that are toward him as we obey. So this is the way that we want to develop obedience in our children. So I'd like to kind of reapproach the entire concept of, I said a couple of things to this effect last week, but I'd like to approach again the whole issue of parents and children if i may yeah i think i think that's a lot of what we spent the last episode on so you might even be re-entering those waters or yes and i know that there is a there's a hunger for the man on the street to get some practical tactical tips which i'm happy to provide but you kind of really need to understand my framework for the way that I'm seeing this issue before I tell you what to do. So you've got to, I think it's very helpful to have a little buy-in on the whole concept. So we know that we are supposed to love one another, famous verse here, just as God has loved us. That's John 13, 34. Love one another just as I have loved you. And so the way that we are to um, treat our children, the way that we're to approach them, is to be a godly way. So that's, nobody would, nobody would bat an eye at me saying that. We're to approach them in a godly way. We're to the love them in a godly way. I said early on last week that the first relationship that anyone has where there's an opportunity for obedience and obedience training is the relationship with a parent. I would like to just push both of those statements one step farther and say for a newborn child and for a child in its formative years, let's say the first three years before they have the, the, the concept of an invisible God in the sky, you are effectively, watch out, I, don't, I often say things where there's a risk of sacrilege. Somebody might think that there's sacrilege going down oh. here. 
social media manager, just take a note. You're going to clip just the next sentence <laughs> and publish it as a Instagram story. That's right. So that people can misunderstand. We can have them running in and then they'll be deflated when they understand properly. For a child, the parent is God to them and is a stand-in for God until that child is ready to then transfer that belief, trust, obedience, and, and following onto the God that they cannot see. So a parent is to provide a child with not just an, here's the magic of this relationship. It's not just an idea of God. We're not just teaching our kids technical truths of God, theology 101. We're giving them an ongoing experience of knowing what God would be like. And we impress upon their minds and their emotions and their memory an opportunity, we are painting in an outline of what God is really like. We are in this way, as parents, we are living parables to our children about the nature and character of God. And we reveal to our children over time the nature and character of God. And I know that we do that in a faint and fallible form. I know that. But we are creating a template for these children. Just think of the ways that, that God is described to us, that God could have used any metaphor for us to understand who, who Jehovah is and what he's like. He's, he said to us that, that, we, that he is our heavenly father. Well, what, what's our concept for father that we could understand, even understand what that is? What, what about him saying that he protects us and he provides for us? What about the name of Jehovah is a strong tower, and those who run into him are kept safe. How many times do we have a child? We do that with our father. We run to him when we're scared or threatened, and we are kept safe. So, hello, if you don't understand this, uh, this is the clue phone ringing to tell you, you are actively creating the reference point for your child to understand what God is like. I think that is a huge point. So there's a, there's a couple of knock-ons to that alone, that concept alone. One, one sort of consequence, if that idea is true, I would ask all of us to take a moment, inventory your own heart and life, and ask yourself, if my child had only their relationship with me to go off of, what would they conclude about what God is like? That is a convicting question. And we're talking about kids that are maybe in that zero to three bucket specifically? Um, I would say that that is when the influence is the strongest. But even if your kid is 17 and someone tells them God is good and he's faithful to his promises, if the 17-year-old's reaction to that is, huh, yeah, I bet. I bet he is. I bet he's faithful to his promises. There's a reason that he has that reaction. It's because of specifically the father, the parents that that child has had. 
And if you forget your promises and you don't do what you said and you promise we'll go camping next summer, next summer comes and goes and you can't get off your rear to make camping happen, you are training your child to believe that God will not fulfill his promises. I, I believe that it's, it's that severe, that we are creating a God concept and a spiritual worldview for our children. I think that influence wanes as they get older. It's absolute in the early days. It's a one-to-one ratio. Um, how do I, why could I believe that God holds me? Well, because daddy holds me. I believe that's one-to-one. I believe that a child could reason differently when they're 12 years old. However, their their base point of reference is going to be their parents. Um, and again, I think it's going to be it's going to be weighted on dad the way that dad was. Yeah, that's that's pretty heavy. I feel like it adds a layer to the mundane, you know. The, the the thing that sticks out to me as I take that little inventory that you just encouraged us to take yes, is would my kids think that God has more important stuff going on? Absolutely. When I'm, when, when, you know, maybe I get distracted or push back dinner 30 minutes so that I can finish something up, et cetera. Oh Yeah. There, there's a lot of places to fail. There are a lot of ways to fail on this. You, you could lead your child to think that God isn't engaged, that I can kind of get away with whatever because he, he doesn't really care. His eyes aren't on me exactly. It doesn't really matter what I do. Um, we could lead a child to think that when I fail, instead of get ha- instead of the heavenly father being a warm retreat that i can come back to where i always know that i'll be affirmed instead when i fail what i can expect is disappointment and disapproval um there you know all of these kind of concepts if we consider for a second what we're building in our children I'll just tell you about me. A lot of times I will make a dictate. I'll make some statement. We're going to be in bed at 10 o'clock tonight. And then 10.03 rolls around and I can turn into a little Napoleon stomping around with my fist because I said 10.00. That's probably not a great reference point to give my kids what happens when we fail or when we forget his word, when we act, you know on our own. Um, I, I think it indicts a lot of what, a lot of what we do and it should, we should feel that that principle is controlling and judging and safeguarding the way that we act. So I, I give a tip to dads, which is if you're caught in a difficult or an ambiguous decision, or you're even in a scenario where you're talking to your child, they're telling you something that surprises you or disappoints you or whatever, Ask yourself when you're not sure how to respond, just ask yourself, what, how can I respond right now that would most accurately teach my child about their heavenly father? And then go with that. It could be that you want to be consistent. And you said, I've done this before. Um, you know, you swat your sister one more time and I'm taking all the toys away. And then she does it. And I think, I wish I hadn't said that because now I need to follow through on what I said because I want to be seen. This is very important to me 
that my children see me as consistent. That's, I mean, we could make a list of qualities that you want to make sure that your children understand about God that have to be modeled by a parent. One, a major one would be faithfulness. So consistency. God's word doesn't change. He, he doesn't wake up and go, oh, it's the year 2000. I'm going to, it's time to edit some things. He, he doesn't do that. And so we, we have to be the same way with our children. That doesn't mean that we can't change methods, but if we vow something, if we, if we tell them we'll be home at three o'clock, et cetera, et cetera, we, we better be there. We, we got to do those things because we, and if we don't, children have enough sophistication to be able to forgive. We just need to own it and go, I failed on that one. That, that wasn't right what I did. I really feel like being able to do that with your children can cover over a multitude of sins because you're acknowledging, you might not use these words, but you're acknowledging that wasn't like God, what I did. I lost my temper, guys, and I'm sorry because I'm, because I'm thinking it's not that God doesn't get angry. It's that he doesn't fly off the handle and lose control of himself. That never happens with God. So we have to acknowledge the places that we fall short, but realizing we are building this God concept as we go. Does that all make sense? Yeah, I've definitely had the experience of thinking, crud, I should not have said I was going to, you know, burn all the the junk that's in the floor if I come back <laughs> in here in five minutes and see anything. Um, I think that we can repent and apologize to kids we can also say hey this was perhaps uh rash when i said this and um i think that's okay too you know i'm thinking this is where my wife can be a good check on me is she'll raise an eyebrow when she sees me kind of getting worked up a bit and those those bold if this doesn't happen, then this is going to happen. Things tend to, they don't tend to come out of my mouth when I'm sitting by the fireplace, having a pipe and in a great, you know, mental state. Right. They tend to happen when I've had it up to my ears and I'm ready for a kid to sort of get afraid um, of consequences. So I think that's good. I just would say, it's okay to actually follow through on a consequence that you in hindsight go, I wouldn't have done that in hindsight. Yes. It's also okay to say, you know what? Dad was just ticked off when he said this. So we're going to do something different. And here's why. If you find that you're doing that all the time, you might actually need to check yourself on just stop threatening stuff to your kids to try to get them to behave. Yep. And you know, if, if, uh, you've told the kids a couple of times, don't walk out into the snow with sock feet and you dealt with that and they do it again. It happened again. W what do you do with repeated failures? You lock do the you, door. Yeah. <laughs> do they enjoy the next hour with sock feet in the snow. Well, little matchstick girls. Okay. Okay. Um, do you hit the roof and lose control or do you think to yourself, this would be the proper thought process to go through. What does God do with me? 
when I fail repeatedly at something I know better than to do, I didn't think, or I, I just, I just chose to please myself. And what, how does God respond? Well, he, he doesn't respond emotionlessly. So I, I don't think it's wrong to um, be troubled or concerned or to treat it seriously. But he also doesn't, um, forgive me for feeling like I'm stomping on your lock, lock them out of the house deal. They, we, he doesn't reject us forever and go, I'm so done with you because you are so stupid. That's not how God does with us. He, he'll walk us through it. And, and the reason that he'll walk us through it is because we know that we're doing that in the context of his loving relationship that, look, I'm your father. I'm not going anywhere. I don't reject you for what you did, but there's a problem. Let's talk it through. Um, that just an example of, of one of the many ways that we can fail at doing this. And I think it's really important. I also think that thinking that way with the responsibility of feeling that I am, if you will, there's a, there's a, like a, as I said, a pair, I think a parable is a good word, but there's a parable happening here between us and our children. And I am playing the role of God. I think that's very helpful for us to, to be in that place and feel the pressure. This is a lot of pressure, obviously it's a lot of pressure to feel that pressure because it's God's intention as we go out into our lives that we are his representatives everywhere we go. That the way that we talk to the oil change guy, it, it shouldn't, the, the bottom line shouldn't be, I'm going to get the best deal here and you guys are going to work your butts. Are you going to do a good job? Cause I'm the guy that makes everybody do a good job. The bottom line is, am I representing the King wherever I go? And so I, I, I think that's really, it's really good for us to um, get used to that. And just because I can't touch on this subject without saying it, that is absolutely for the husbands out there. That is absolutely without question, your role in your marriage. Ephesians five tells us so that there is a little parable happening underneath your, the, your roof in your marriage and you're playing parts and the husband is playing the part of the sacrificial savior and the wife is playing the part of the submissive and obedient church to the savior that's that's the story that's happening so husbands you should feel the same pressure with your wife i am teaching my wife what god is like to her to the church and moreover, and this is true with the parenting relationship as well, I'm telling God what I think he's like. Hmm. And he's very interested in our comments on that, on that subject. It's, it's, it's heady. Another one of the knock-ons to this uh, concept is if I can kind of go upstream of the family tree for a second and have you look backwards and ask, um, whether you have forgiven your parents, that's something that everybody has to do. Have you forgiven your parents for their failures? And do you, what's your metric for forgiveness for them? They didn't give me a new car when I was 16. That's not a very good one. Um, it should be more like, where did they fail 
to present me an accurate picture of what the heavenly father is like. And for those things, I forgive them. I let them off the hook for not doing for me what I aim to do for my children. They probably didn't, they probably didn't know better. They probably did their best. That's true of most parents. They did their best. Um, and understanding that I also fail with my children. I don't do it perfectly. It becomes a lot easier to forgive your parents, but you, you need to do that if, if you haven't heard that before. But I always think that's a helpful metric for, for understanding. Look, it is the job of a parent to build a God worldview, a God concept in your mind. And where they failed to do that, you got to forgive them for all of those spots. Okay, can I, shall we push the sacrilege a little bit more? I would like to. I don't think you're being sacrilegious. I think okay, you, you you're all right can, with this. We can run run the shtick, but I think that that this is good. Keep going. I just know that it's challenging for some people to think that a child, uh, a, a parent, actually is is God to their children. There, that is true for for some for some extent of time. So. I, I I mused on this concept years ago, and I started looking through finding what the scriptures have to say about parenting. Um, and you know, it's like finding a needle in a haystack. There's a verse here, a little concept there. There's not like two chunky chapters on it. You you got to know where to look. And as you put these pieces together, um, that's where I started seeing this kind of, wow, you have this really powerful thing, you know, that's said explicitly, um, in Ephesians five about being a husband. Um, but you have to kind of connect the dots between heavenly father, earthly father, etc. So I started thinking, well, what is it the case that if we have this God concept that we're, that we're building for somebody. How did God build his God concept for his children, Israel? And their concept of God was not Jehovah as we know him, the one true God. It was all of this mishmash of agricultural gods of all the pagans around them and bizarro stuff. So he wanted to lay down the law for them and say, look, you need to know what I'm like. So he was very definite in giving them the masterpiece epiphany of the 10 commandments. And he said, this is what I'm like that we see those as, you know, rules for good living, but really they're a description of what God's like. So for instance, uh, Muslims, one of their names for God is the great destroyer. So they worship a God who describes himself as a destroyer. Our God does not worship, does not describe himself that way. He says about himself, for instance, don't tell lies. I don't want any of you to tell lies because what he's saying is I don't tell lies. I tell the truth and I want you to live according to my ways. And then there's life, there's life in there. So these these rules are, were his description of how does he reveal what he's like to a people that don't know him. So I started thinking, do these 10 commandments, I know it feels like I'm teetering on the edge of sacrilege here, but do these 10 commandments, do they have a knock on into parenting? And I, I started writing a lot about this privately. I, I think it, I think it's true. I think it's the case. 
And so I'm going to, I'm going to pitch one out to you. Um, the first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me. And I know that it sounds like very strong language, but we should have an attitude to our children, our children. You will have no higher authority in your life than me. If my word to you competes with the teacher's word or the neighbor kid's word or you know, often neighbors, I mean, often like schoolmates will report what their parents say or some dumb 10th grader. I heard big, big Johnny in 10th grade says this and this, and we need to have the attitude that there's no one's word that outweighs my word in this home. Even, even watch this. I know this is very heavy stuff. I might be, I might be, uh, getting into sacred cow territory, even the way that God is talked about, believed, and how we interpret church life, it comes through me. And when I say me, if you're a mom listening, that's you too. As a parent, we are the filter for how our children see all of these things. And we, we, if we take that responsibility seriously, we also need to understand, well, there is authority that goes with that responsibility. And here it is laid out in the very first command. Mine is the last word. That, that's, what, that's what the first commandment says. You'll have no other gods before me. Mine is the last word. I will not be challenged and I will not allow challenge to what I say go anywhere. That, that means if there's a TV program going on in our house and it challenges what we say about the truth, that's going off because it's not true. We don't believe that as a family, et cetera. Does that, does that all jive? Yeah. I'm, I'm curious if, uh, I don't know, do you get a, do you get a notification when I get involved in a Twitter spat with somebody, Steven? I, I wouldn't say that Elon is tweet is, is texting me when this happens, but if you start jabbering with somebody, it, it definitely will come into my timeline. Because I, I've been thinking a lot about just in general, the, the role of father and how it plays with other roles, kind of school, church, etc. Um, I had, I had our first midrash, uh, last week, Oh, which I forgot I, to I, ask you about that. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll revisit that. Okay. But, but, but. Justin Wolfenberg was one of the guys in the episode How to Midrash that, that we put out not that long ago. And more recently than that, you interviewed him in one of my favorite episodes called Fathers Over Pastors. So yes. I've been kind of thinking about that that authority slash responsibility that we have as fathers. And I was I was poking around on Twitter the other day, probably ill-advised in general, but that's what I was doing. And I come across this reformed preacher guy who was talking about head coverings. And you know, I like a good head covering debate. I mean, I think we're all fairly addicted to that conversation. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, and I think there's a lot of, a lot of places somebody can come out on that and we can still be friends. But uh -huh. this guy was talking about it and his, the gist of his point was, if you go to a church where the clergy have decided that we will not be doing head coverings, then it would be sin to show up in head coverings. 
I don't even want to argue about that because I think it's, <laughs> I think it's reasonable for church groups to say we're going to worship corporately in this way, and if you don't want to do that, no problem, but don't come to this meeting. Mm. So that doesn't bug me. What what kind of bugged me is when somebody challenged him on some details of his argument. He responded and said, "The individual husband is not a minister." He does not shepherd the flock, and it's not his responsibility to assume that he knows what's going on with the flock. That's the minister's job. And it just sent my uh, my antennas up because I thought this is basically a very different manifestation, but the same spirit that you and I have experienced in mega church Baptist land, where they say, this show is so wonderfully polished and high production that you people in the stands could not possibly have any have any engagement with it beyond just eating it up and sitting and watching yes. it. Um, you know, in this case, it's the elevation of sort of a biblically pretty imaginary uh, uh, role. Um, you know, pastors are certainly described, but they're not ever given the types of authorities explicitly that fathers are given in the scriptures. Um, 100% true. They're, they're given responsibilities, uh, but but not uh, they're not set as kings over families. Let's say right. it that way. Um, and so when I think about what you're saying, I I think it's good for our kids to see dad um, and mom in the way that they work together as parents, yeah. but for them to see fathers and say, that's where I'm going to get my truth. Now, that's a massive responsibility too. I, I went to a Christian school where there was yes, a lot of families that were trying to pull on this rope and they ended up, you know, perhaps, um, maybe they had a father who was really convinced of some political thing. And that was, and they, then they got older and they started saying, I don't know if I agree with that political. So I think as a father, you have to be very careful about where you say we will not bend an inch Sure. and other places. Like I'm pretty, I'm pretty politically convinced of a lot of things, Stephen, but I'm not planning to tell my kids, you can't step outside of right. this entire worldview of like my political opinions, because I know that myself, there was a long time in my life where I chose opinions specifically because they were opposite of my family's. Yeah. And I'm really looking to avoid, I mean, I also went to a, like I said, a Christian school where they taught science and they taught a lot of stuff that was really good about teaching us to navigate kind of, well, there's, there's kind of this worldly view of science. And then there's this biblical view of science. And then they also taught us some absolute junk science that, uh, you know, I got a little old enough to kind of read some books and said, well, that's just wrong. And so you have to be very careful because I think if you're not, you can not feel the weight of this responsibility that kids, whether they're little or even teenagers are going to look at your words and they, it has primary weight until you kind of by your own potential folly, chuck that responsibility and just pop off. And at some point people will go, well, I, th I thought his words had weight. They, they evidently don't. So right. I think there's two sides to that coin, but the, the antidote to both ditches is to understand the gravity 
that you have from from day one and then to maintain it by exactly like what you said doing which is think am i representing the king in the yes. way i speak and in the even in the gravity that i give to my own words or do i just kind of pop off and do i demand that every single jot and tittle of our family's opinions and practices is exactly what i would do um i think that's a, a danger that can come with this just as much as sort of saying, well, somebody else teach them. Yes. I don't know if I said this earlier, but I think there's a natural, there's going to be a natural curve where there, over the years, the influence of a parent is going to decrease in a child's life, hopefully, as the personal influence of the scriptures and the voice of God increases in a child's life so that you become less pedantic. I mean, not, nothing is seems sillier than a, a college girl coming home to a father stomping around going, we don't wear mini skirts in this house. And her car is full of them because that's what she wears. And so let me just give you, I know you're not necessarily asking, but I do think people ask this question. So let me yeah. give you a little play act coaching on what you said, which is if we make everything the bottom line, where, where do we draw the line on? I'm going to be staunch on this one. You know what? I'm going to be a little bit more open-handed about that. Here's my coaching on that. It's what the Bible talks about. If the, if, if the Bible talks about it in a firm, um, unyielding, steadfast way, then that's how you should present it. You, if your child comes home from school and says, are there, is there more than one God? I think there might, I think there might be many gods that we could worship. And I think maybe there's many paths that lead to heaven. Don't blow your lid. But just describe, no, the scripture says there is one God, and that's the God that we worship. And Jesus said, I am the way, and that I'm the only way that leads to the Father. That kind of thing we're not going to compromise on. Um, mini skirts, you can say what you think, but don't make it the end all be all because the scripture doesn't make that clear. So you can say, well, this is what, this is where we stand on that, but for goodness sake, don't set it up so that when your child develops a varying opinion from yours, they're in this existential crisis because yeah. I'm going to have to oppose my parents to wear yoga pants. Okay. I have opinions about yoga pants, but why make it, why make it a central tenet? It's not, it's not nearly as important as so many other things are supposed to teach our children. Amen. Okay. Before we go, I would love for you to give us a two minute, by the way, and on these uh, 10 commandments, we might revisit those, but I'm guaranteeing the people that the next time we talk about parenting, which we're not done with, we're going to give actual practical steps, tips, tricks, methods. Okay. For parenting. Okay. Now, I, before we go, I want you to give us a little, little heads up on, on your midrash. Tell us what you're trying to do and how it went. Yeah. So my goal was really what we talked about in that episode, um, which was I have a group of guys, both a smaller group and then a larger extended circle that I wanted to get together with and encourage each other and talk about the scriptures really at the end of the day with the goal of all of us being equipped to do what I said earlier, pastor our families and feel, yeah. you know, able to operate in the word, um, to be able to both be challenged and challenge 
around interpreting the scriptures. Um, and um, so we took the advice of Jeremy Pryor. We, we started in Genesis 1, 1 and covered two, you know, we all stood up. We read the first two chapters of Genesis and we then waited until somebody said, well, what about this? And, um, I would say it went really well. You know, I probably have some questions for you. You've done this a lot more than me. And the, the tension I feel right now is between really interesting, engaging debate on what things mean and what's, what are we even allowed to think, um, versus, application so for example um we did not get into this but this is a good example because i'm going to preserve the the uh anonymity anonymity of the group okay um but i know with a lot of the guys that i hang with they've read michael heiser and they're very interested in some of his theories on for example the nephilim um and some of that stuff uh I made the statement, I don't think that we should get too sidetracked on topics uh, where we could, you know, somebody could devote their whole life to the study of a chapter of the scripture, and that wouldn't be a yeah. waste. However, the goal here is, like I said, that we would actually know what the scripture says about how we should live and how we should uh, worship, etc. Not to kind of score academic points on this or that theory about something that really isn't totally illuminated in scripture there that's a hard line to draw though uh you know some people would say, well, almost nothing is is so clear in the Bible that we shouldn't be willing to go toe to toe on it um and some people were very reactive against that admonition of mine to say, you know, Genesis one, one and two. Well, if, if we don't dive deep into the nature of the enemy and Satan and origins of the enemy and, or if we don't come to conclusions about the, the timeline of creation, um, then we, we really like, we aren't, equipped to to live the way we should um that's the tension we're feeling right now is how much do we engage in kind of theoretical debate versus force it always back to application i know what jeremy would say which is push towards practical application um i i think on something like the 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 origin of the devil. If somebody wanted to, Hey, can I just read, let me read from Isaiah. It describes it's, you know, one of these central passages about the devil. And I, I know that there'll be guys in the room for whom that's filling in blanks that they don't understand. I'd probably be all right with that. When you get into something like the Nephilim, which has nothing to do with our lives, there's no application for that whatsoever. It's not going to lead to you being a better anything. I think the tension is right. That's all I can say is that you should feel the tension of it. Does this actually help us live our lives and be better leaders, uh, be better family leaders? 
And I think you're within your rights to at some point, whenever you intuit it, to, to call a timeout and go, we're going too far down this path. Can, and does someone have a comment to make about the passage that we read? I think that's fair. All right. I, I, I think it's a good sign that there has been rousing text thread debate since that meeting. And that is people, good. I think people are generally encouraged to go read their Bibles more, which is also a win, if you ask me. Um, yes. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I think it's a great format when you maybe don't have the buy-in to do a deep, high challenge, high commitment. Yes. Like we're all going to be here every single week type. Group. Yes. It's a great way to get together with men and hash out the scriptures. Yes. You can parachute in. You don't have to have been there the last six weeks. You can hear some passages, talk about them, get some real leadership you can you can walk away thinking i think i need to talk more to craig about this cuz he he seems to know something so i'll follow up with craig and and uh it's it's great it's a good it's a good setup well that's really fascinating i'd i'd love it if you know there were 10 people doing that around the country starting up midrashes good on you for trying it you know, it's a great, uh, you know, it's a great container for those ongoing conversations that you need to hear from somebody and then eventually you'll give them your feedback. Is it our volley channel? Volley. Volley works great to do that. But how, how would somebody get invited into the Abraham's wallet volley channel? Oh, the Abe's wallet volley channel. I, I, I thought you were talking about your midrash. Well, um, our, <laughs> Our Abe's Wallet Volley channel is private to our donor community because if somebody's willing to donate, say, five bucks a month, a cup of coffee's worth of support for what we what we do to keep us on the air, then we really want that person's voice. You know what would be delightful is if there was the uh if if we had the bandwidth at some point to come in and you know, when I was doing this midrash for the first time, I really was wishing there was just somebody from your crew that I could stick in my, right. my meeting. It'd be fun if if Abraham's wallet could seed a few of these suckers. So I don't know if you're starting a midrash and you That'd want be so fun, you want like a a moderator for your first meeting. I don't think you have to have it, but drop us an email. You know, what would be so fun is to do like a Friday night um, workshop describing the concept and then actually do it on Saturday morning, for instance, and and let it all happen and go, You, I think you guys got it. You're going to be all right. I'm even thinking you could do this virtually. You don't have to be in the same room. You guys are hearing things being worked out for the first time ever live, live. online. We, we didn't plan this. All right, next time we'll continue on parenting and we will give you some very specific tips and tricks of the trade for training your children. We're going to talk about money too, not just, Excellent. Uh, not just whether or not you should smack them. Great. See you All then. Right. Bye.